welcome you guys to our very first like Zoom video podcast. We're going to put this on YouTube. Weird. We just decided that this morning. So yeah, I was like, oh, crap. Okay, got to put on makeup and fix my hair. <laughs> Me too. I was like, dang it. I haven't even washed my hair. But I was like, <laughs> it would be a good thing. We're already like having to Zoom anyway for this episode. Like we were just going to do the audio. But I was like, well, we're already recording. Like we might as well upload the video too. So we're going to do that. Exciting stuff. Exactly. So this All episode right. would normally, oh, sorry. <laughs> You're good. I feel like there's like a Go little bit it. of a lag. There's like a little there bit, is of, a a bit lag, of a lag. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. So um, normally this episode would be our investigation episode because last week we did our story. But as you guys heard last week, um, our investigation did not work out for us. Oklahoma was against us. That wind was intense with that cold front coming in and we could not even record our investigation. We couldn't even investigate. Like the dousing rods wouldn't work. Like the wind was just blowing them everywhere. Our mics wouldn't even pick up our voices. We tried our like little EVP recorder and it was just wind. So we had to just- You couldn't hear anything. <laughs> no, we had to just call it quits. Like we couldn't, we couldn't do it. So we're going to go back and investigate Fort Reno. But again, there's been a cold front in, like we haven't been able to go back and do that. So at some point we're going to go back because it's going to be great. We're excited about it. However, this week- we are doing a brand new thing that was Catherine's idea. Catherine, you want to tell them what it is? We are going to do a sister state episode. So exciting. So we will, so we will each do one uh, story. One person will do a true crime story and one person will do a paranormal story mm-hmm. from a state neighboring Oklahoma. So this time we picked Texas. Texas. So exciting. So I'm going to be doing true crime. Yes, our frenemy state. I'm going to be doing true crime this week. And I'm going to be doing paranormal. Spooky. Mm, And we'll probably trade off next time. So next sister state episode, I'll do paranormal. She'll do true crime. Keep it fair, I guess. Exactly. Because neither of us are like experts in either thing. So, you know, (laughs) we're just researching. So anyway, we're really excited. Um, I... Oh, I guess I said this on the other. We did a recording right before this for our Patreon supporters telling their like story, the whole saga of Fort Reno and our absolute fail. But we had a lot of funny stories that went along with it. So if you want to hear those, become a Patreon supporter. Um, but yep. I was telling them that I can literally see my breath. You probably can't see it on the recording. You can. Maybe a little bit. Just a little bit. Can you really? Yeah. 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 It is cold in here. I'm out in my, <laughs> I have a little like she shed and I'm out in it. But it is so cold because I was dumb and I didn't come turn my heater on this morning. So I turned it on for like five minutes before we recorded and it did nothing. Like I can't feel my feet right now or my fingers and I can see my breath. So she's dedicated to the podcast, y'all. I'm dedicated. (laughs) It is so cold out here. So anyway, um, if I start shivering at some point, that's why. As long as your teeth don't start chattering, we're good. I'm nervous about that. It's like my nose is frozen. So I'm like, oh, no. uh-oh. and I keep getting distracted by being able to see my breath. But anyway, so if I'm very easily <laughs> distracted, like more so than normal, that's what it is. It's because I can literally see my breath as I talk. Anyway. Nice. Mm-hmm. So do you want me to go first? Yeah, go for it. Go first? Okay, cool, cool, cool. So 
I am going to be covering the murder of Carla Walker. Have you ever heard of it? I have not. It's It was an unsolved murder for a really long time. Um, Fort Worth area. And it's awful. I picked this one because it happens really close to Valentine's Day. And oh, we're okay. starting to get close to Valentine's Day. I know that you are going to do a Valentine's Day story. I think yes. for, I guess, next week it would be. Next um, week. Uh-huh. But I, and so I looked for one also in Oklahoma. The only one I could find was the one that you're doing. So I was like, you know what? I'll do mine a week early. That'll be good. There you go. So that's what I'm doing. So anyway, uh, this is the murder of Carla Walker. Let me go ahead and give my sources first before I forget, because I forget every week. So... <laughs> The main one I used was Texas Monthly. They had a really, really in-depth article about it, like very, very detailed. It was really, really well done. And so a lot of my information comes from there. I also got some from um, Hometown by Handlebar. I think it's a blog. And they had a lot of like additional details. So I got some from that. Um, And that's mostly what I got. I got a couple from like NBC, Dallas, Fort Worth um, about like the trial once they found out who did it. And that's about it. So we're going to jump right in, I guess. Um, All right. So on the afternoon of September 21st, 2020, members of the elite Delta team of the U.S. Marshals North Texas Fugitive Task Force. It's a really long name. Um, But anyway, Delta team of the U.S. Marshals, basically. They surrounded a small home in a working class neighborhood of Fort Worth, Texas. This unit is specially trained to arrest high risk criminals. So this was in September of 2020. Um, One officer knocked on the door, which was opened by a 77-year-old man named Glenn McCurley. Glenn was frail with thinning white hair and sunken in eyes. His wife, Judy, appeared beside him leaning on a cane. Officers arrested Glenn while Judy told them that he had cancer and was supposed to go to the doctor later that day. So just like a very strange start to this whole story. Um, okay. Glenn had lived, yeah, he had lived in Fort Worth for nearly 50 years. He was married with children. He was called, quote, a good man leading a quiet life. Um, nobody suspected anything at all. One woman That's had even written. Always a bad start. <laughs> I know. I know. Pillar of the community as pillar of the community. And that's why we drink. Pillar to yeah, killer. Pillar to killer. Yeah, they're right. They're right. So, um, One woman had even written a letter to the Fort Worth Star-Telegram newspaper after Glenn and his wife Judy had returned the woman's lost wallet, and she said, quote, the world needs more folks like this. So just like truly a pillar of the community. Um, This same man, though, was being charged with the murder of 17-year-old Carla Walker, which had occurred 46 years before. Holy moly. Yeah, almost half a century for them to figure out what happened. So we're going to, we're going to go back in time a little bit and I'll tell you the story of exactly what happened 46 years earlier. So, all right. In 1974, 17 year old Carla Walker was a junior at Fort Worth's Western Hills High School. She was four foot 11 with honey blonde hair. Classmates described her as quote, the kind of girl who smiled and said hello to just about everyone she saw in the hallways. She was just like really friendly, really well-loved, just like a good girl. Um, Yeah, she was dating the quarterback of the football team, Rodney McCoy. She told her friends that she had no doubt she and Rodney would get married and start a family. They had even been talking about enrolling together at Texas Tech University, like 
they were like planning their future. They had been together about a year at this point, I think, and just like high school sweethearts. Um, Yeah, she was like a cheerleader. He was the quarterback of the football team, just like that classic, like Texas high school sweethearts, you know? That's precious. I know, very adorable. So on the evening of February 16th, 1974, Carla and Rodney attended the school's Valentine's Day dance together. Carla wore a powder blue dress and the promise ring that Rodney had given her. Precious, right? So after the dance, I know, after the dance, Rodney, Carla, and another couple cruised Camp Bowie Boulevard and stopped at a couple of teen hangouts, Mr. Quick Hamburgers, and Taco Bell. So nothing's changed. Yes, nothing has changed. Um, so then after dropping off the other couple, Carla and Rodney drove to a nearby bowling alley so Carla could go in and use the bathroom. When she got back in the car, they started kissing, but then the passenger door flew open and a tall man with short brown hair began bludgeoning Rodney in the head with a pistol. Holy moly. It comes out of nowhere. Just comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. The man grabbed Carla and said, you're coming with me, aren't you, sweetie? Oh, creepy. No, don't like the sweetie. I hate Mm -mm. it. Um, And then Carla said, Rodney, go get my dad. And um, Rodney had been beaten so badly with the pistol that he passed out. And when he came to, I know, so he couldn't do anything. Like he had been, he had a pretty severe head injury from it. Um, When he came to, he like immediately rushed to Carla's house, which was only, I think, a mile or two away. It was really close. Um, and it, again, it was like 74, so they didn't have cell phones. He couldn't just like call the police. So he like right. went to the closest place. Um, Carla's parents were still awake playing dominoes in the dining room. Carla's 12 year old brother, Jim, I know Carla's 12 year old brother, Jim and 18 year old sister, Cindy were in the living room watching TV together. Um, Rodney rushed into the house with blood dripping down his face saying, Mr. Walker, they've got her. They're going to hurt her bad. Oh, I know. A lot of this comes like directly from him, like from his testimony later on and things like that. Yeah. So we've got like specific quotes, like specific details. Um, and a, a good majority of this is from that uh, Texas Monthly article. Because it's, if you want to read more, like there's even more that I don't go over that's in that article. It's really, really gotcha. good. Definitely recommend. Um, so a lot of these details are from that. But um, anyway, he like came into the house and he was like, you got to help me. They've got her. They're going to hurt her. And so Carla's father grabbed his pistol and sped to the bowling alley while Carla's mother called the police. Officers soon arrived at the scene, finding Carla's purse and a magazine clip that had been ejected from the assailant's weapon. So at least they had something. Okay. Um, Yeah. So officers began driving around nearby streets, looking for any sign of where they could have gone. Other officers circled the city in helicopters. Like they really jumped on this, Um, but there was no sign of Carla anywhere. She didn't have any enemies. There weren't any clear suspects. Like nobody knows why it was her, who could have done this. There was really no information to go on other than like, it was a man with short brown hair and there's a magazine clip from a gun, but it was like a 22. Like it was just, it was kind of a basic, like, you know. Right. Anybody could have it. Exactly. It's Texas. It's Fort Worth, Texas. Like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, they didn't really have anywhere to go with that. Um, They were, I mean, again, like circling all the streets immediately. They had helicopters brought in, but like they didn't see any sign of her until four days later on February 20th, 
Two officers were searching on a two-lane road near Benbrook Lake, which was about five miles from the bowling alley. They spotted a culvert and decided to stop and check there. It was there that they discovered the body of a young woman lying on her back covered mm. in scratches and bruises. Her blue dress uh. was bloody and ripped. Her bra had been pushed up over her breasts. Her underwear and pantyhose were removed, lying at the entrance to the culvert. Although she had been strangled, there were no ligature marks around her neck, so the investigators believed that the killer had strangled her with his bare hands. Oh my gosh. And as I'm sure you've already guessed, this woman was Carla. Yes, poor baby. Yeah, so sad. This murder, like, shook the entire town. There were over 1,200 people that attended her funeral. Um, Teenagers stopped cruising up and down Camp Bowie Boulevard after school like they normally did. Uh, A lot of them wouldn't leave their houses at night anymore. Like, everyone was terrified because it was just so random. Uh, Even the high school PTA, like, arranged self-defense classes for students at the high school because everyone was, like, so scared and had no idea why this had happened or who had done it. Like, they were all so scared. So um, Fort Worth officials formed a special task force for it. I know. Um, They they formed a special task force, but they didn't really have much to go on. Like, there were no fingerprints found on her clothes or her body. Uh, The blood that was on her dress was from Rodney's head wound, so that didn't give any, like, DNA evidence. Um, And again, it was 74, so... They had also found, they had found bodily fluid, but it was 1974, so they didn't have the technology to, like, test it and get the DNA from it, and just hit a dead end. Like, there wasn't enough physical evidence for them to do anything then. Wow. I know. Um, They did, however, set up a 24-hour hotline for tips and information. They had a lot of calls come into that, but nothing that really led anywhere. Um, They were told a lot of random information that did not pan out or really apply like I think people were trying to help but none of it really really helped um they were told that Carla they were told that Carla had been killed by a couple of marijuana dealers um okay (laughs) someone else said it was a carnival worker from the Fort Worth stock show and rodeo Uh, another person said it was a, a like lonely young man who often bowled alone at the bowling alley that she disappeared from um, they were really just kind of guessing, just like naming people. Um, then another said that like, I guess Rodney, her boyfriend had supposedly gotten into an argument with another boy the night before the dance at Mr. Quick Hamburgers, but like none of the tips led to anything. Like none of them were wow. valid. So there was one interesting call that came from it though. Um, again, it didn't really lead anywhere, but it was like, okay, this might mean something. It was from a Uh man who, like, he wouldn't give his name, um, but he claimed to know the murderer and said that the murderer did not mean to kill Carla and had only wanted to sleep with her. I'm editing for language in case, you know, relatives listen to this. But, um, yes, so he had only wanted to sleep with her and didn't mean to murder her, but they didn't give his name, didn't say who it was, didn't give any details, like, and again, it was 1974, so, like, there wasn't right because that's okay he he just wants to sleep with her without her consent that's fine he didn't it was an accident the bad part the bad part was the killing and that was an accident the other part was fine that him wanting to sleep with her without her consent that was okay exactly totally fine apparently so anyway but like they didn't give they didn't give a name they didn't give any information and like it was 1974 they didn't like have the technology to I guess trace, trace it the as call. like they would today. So right. it 
it again led nowhere um and so he, the, the person said like, that he knew the the person said he, said he knew the murderer but he didn't give any clue as to who that was no basically he was like i know this person and they didn't mean to do it like he he just wanted to sleep with her he didn't mean to murder her wow okay yeah yeah but didn't give didn't give any information wouldn't even say his own name like they had nothing to go on from that um other than like maybe this murderer has told somebody if that is true anyway um other than like he's telling people so who knows but um so another thing again the tip line didn't really like nothing came from that so another thing the detectives tried was hiring a hypnotist because like that's the logical next step I guess yeah definitely like I I don't understand it but I respect that they were trying like they really (laughs) tried they tried everything they could think of um so they were really wanting to get more details from Rodney um who had been having difficulty like remembering details of the incident because of his head injury so like okay things that he could recall were really fuzzy and things like that so they they hired a hypnotist to try to get more details out of him um okay but the only additional information they got from this was that the murderer had been wearing a brown or tan cowboy hat. Well, and it's Fort, it's Worth, Fort Worth, Texas. Texas. <laughs> so, like, again, that didn't really help. But, like, I guess they got a little bit of extra information. But anyway, yeah. pretty much just another dead end. Because, like, I read that and I was like, okay, that narrows it down. Not at all. It's literally Texas. And he's wearing a cowboy hat. Wow. That's not helpful. Um. Anyway, I mean... You know, they tried. They tried another avenue, which I respect. I'm glad they were still trying, but that did not help, I guess. So could he not remember what the guy looked like? Uh, I don't know exactly. Like, I think he remembered that he was tall and had brown hair and that that's kind of okay. all that he remembered. But then later on, he was able to remember, like, with the hypnotist that, oh, he was also wearing a brown or tan cowboy hat. Um, okay. But then he, like, he remembered, like, Carla's words to him and like the things that the guy said but I don't know if maybe that came back later because a lot of this came from like his testimony like way later I think um so I don't know if maybe maybe like right away he was really having trouble because the head injury was so fresh and that maybe some Mm -hmm. of it came back to him later again I don't know that's like pure speculation but that's what I'm thinking gotcha so um one of the only real pieces of evidence they had was the magazine clip that was found in the bowling alley parking lot with Carla's purse. They did find out that it belonged to a newer model 22 Ruger handgun. Okay. So, yeah. So police contacted the Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, the ATF, to get a list of everyone in Fort Worth area who had purchased that specific model. And it was a couple dozen people. So that did, like, narrow it down. It provided them with some names, um, one of which was Glenn McCurley okay from the beginning of our story so he was on the radar from the beginning kind of um so I'm gonna like kind of back up and just tell you a little bit about Glenn and his like upbringing his life Um, okay so Glenn McCurley was raised in West Texas and he was the oldest of three boys supposedly his father thought that he was undisciplined and a troublemaker which I guess he was right but um yeah but they said like he, like, loved his two younger boys, but just thought Glenn was, like, a troublemaker. So, hmm. as a teenager, they sent him to live at the Westview Boys Home in southwestern Oklahoma. So, pulling Oklahoma into the story a little bit. Awesome. Yeah. Probably so not great, him, but... Not a great, not a great connection, but, <laughs> no, it's 
called Spooky Oki. So, all right. Yeah. Um. So they sent him to live at this boy's home, but no one really knows like why he was sent there initially. Um. It was just kind of for like, you know, kids who didn't have families or had gotten into a lot of trouble, like all of that. So like, they didn't really know why they sent him there, like what caused that. So I'd be really curious to find out. I know it makes me wonder, like, you know, you hear those, I've heard of stories before about kids who from a young age have like narcissistic manipulative Mm -hmm. tendencies and stuff. And it makes me wonder, like, was he already showing some of those? That's what I was wondering. And the dad was picking up on it and he was like, Mm -hmm. you're, there's something different with the way your, your mind is working. Exactly. That's, that's kind of what I was wondering. Cause it was just strange that like, it wasn't like legal trouble that sent him there. It wasn't like a specific incident that I could find anyway. It's just strange that they would be like, yes, sorry, son, we'll keep the other two kids, but you need to go live in a boy's home. I don't know. Yeah. It was strange. That is strange. Yeah. I thought so too. Um, so in 1961, he had left Westview boys home and gone to Abilene, Texas Abilene. Woohoo. I, I paused for that. I was like, you're going to have a reaction. I know it. <laughs> Go um, Wildcats. <laughs> so she went to college there, if you can't tell. Um, yeah, I went to school there. I went to, I went to college there. <laughs> so he had gone to Abilene, Texas, where he stole a car. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. So, like, not a great connection again, but you know, no. it's fine. We got to get excited when we can because these stories are so dark. So, like, when there's one. So he did detail, not find. He did not find Jesus at Abilene Christian College. He did not. No. (laughs) Unfortunately, no. He stole a car. Then he abandoned that car and stole another one. And then led State Highway Patrol on a chase. And he attempted to escape on foot, but they caught him. So it didn't like last long. I don't really know what the point of it was. Like, whatever. Um, He pled guilty to that and received a two-year sentence, but he was released early in 1962, so, like, maybe a year later, and he was 19 years old at that point, so he was 19. Okay. Um, Then he moved to Midland, Texas, where he met Judy Watson. Judy was described, yeah, so if you recognize her name from the beginning of the story, his wife, Judy, that's when he met her. Yes. So she was described as a good girl who hadn't dated much, and she immediately fell for Glenn. Poor oh, girl. They, I know. I'm like, oh, no. Um, she was just, uh, sorry, I already read that. They were married on February 16th, 1963. So if you recognize that date, that is the same date that Carla was murdered 11 years later on his anniversary. <gasps> Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was typing this out and I was like, I know that day. Why do I know that day? And I scrolled back up and I was like, are you kidding? He murdered this girl on his anniversary. Oh Wild. my gosh. Mm-hmm. What did Judy look like? I don't know. I don't know. I should look it up. I wonder if they look similar. I, that's what I just was wondering. Hold on. I don't know if there's pictures of her. I'm going to look it up. I like can't okay. feel my fingers. I'm so cold. <laughs> no. I'm so annoyed. Um, yeah, I need pictures of her when she was like younger. Mm, I don't know. Okay. I can't really tell. 
I, there's not okay. a lot of pictures and I don't want to like spend forever looking for it just because you know yeah we're like recording but I don't know I wonder if they did look similar or something it's just strange that would that be interesting on, yeah. on his anniversary unless it had something to do with like his relationship right to his wife and like it yeah. didn't seem like they anyway I'll get into it but it didn't seem like he and okay. his wife had a bad relationship at all like she had no idea that this happened she had no clue wow like she truly like when they went to I'll get into it later but like when they went to the house to like question him you know when he was like 77 or whatever um yeah he was they were like can you give a DNA sample for us like they had like invited the officers inside like before they went to actually arrest him when they first went to like talk to him again they like invited Uh the officers inside and like sat down and talked to them and Judy was like I really hope you find whoever did this because this girl deserves justice. Like, I mean, she like sincerely, I don't think she knew at all. Like, I truly don't. Wow. Which is crazy. But like, she, I mean, she literally told the officers, like, I really hope you catch whoever did this. Like that girl deserves justice. I don't remember her exact words, but it was something along those lines. Or like that girl deserves to be remembered. Like, no clue. I I don't think anyway, from what I read, it did not seem like she had any idea, which is so crazy. But anyway, so I'll get back, I'll get back to like his, his early life, I guess, but I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's just so crazy to me, like the (laughs) connections. It's so weird. Um, so they were married on February 16th, 1963. They had two sons together and Glenn got a job driving a truck for the U S postal service. Then they moved to Fort Worth. Yeah. They moved to Fort Worth in 1972, where they enrolled their sons in school and began attending church at the Ridgely West Baptist Church. Okay. Uh, Glenn got a different truck truck driving job and Judy worked in the daycare at their church. So Judy had a reputation of being warm and motherly and she was well-loved. Glenn wasn't like quite as personable as his wife was, but he also had a good reputation he was known to like okay. mow the lawn of the church in his free time. He would do repairs for the church. Um, he would help his neighbors with odd jobs. Like he was a pillar of the community, as Em and Christine would say. Lovely. So, yeah. Um, when police questioned Glenn in 1974, so like when this first happened, when they questioned him about his gun, he told them that his gun had been stolen about six weeks earlier from his truck while he was fishing. He agreed to go to the station and take a polygraph test, which he passed. And then he was quickly eliminated as a suspect because there was nothing to like tie him, like other than the gun, having the same gun, which he was like, it got stolen. I'll go do a polygraph if you need. Like he was very cooperative. There was nothing to like tie him to Carla. So he was eliminated because he like cooperated, passed the polygraph. So they didn't even consider him again. Um, And then just dead end really nothing else they could do they I guess questioned everyone on the list about the guns and like no matches nothing came up um and the case went cold for 46 years which is just so crazy to me um her family continued to search for answers her father died in 1987 and then her mother died Mm. in 2015 so they like weren't ever able to get closure on that which is awful um like her younger brother continued to like search for answers and that is so sad call. I know I hate it he would like search for answers and he would continue to like call the police station and just be like hey is there any any new info do you have any updates and they're like no we'll call if we find anything but there was really I mean at that point like there wasn't much they could do nothing new would come in 
So he would continue to call after his parents passed away. He like moved into their house, into the family home, because he said he wanted to be there in case something happened in case she was ever, you know, the murderer like decided to confess. Like he just wanted to be there. Wow. And so he like moved his family into the family, like the childhood home so that somebody was there, which is so sad wow. to me, but like 46 years and he like couldn't move on because there was no closure. He's, for not, it. Give, he's not giving up. Yeah. Mm-mm, it's so sad. And like, he really did. I mean, he ended up being like a big part in solving it because he like, he would call and just be like, do you have any updates? Do you have any updates? Like anything new? Um, and so eventually like the detectives would revisit it occasionally, but like, again, there was no new information. So there's not much they could do. Um, and then two right. new detectives were assigned to the cold cases and they began to work on Carla's case again. Like her brother, Jim called and was like, Hey, you know, you should look at this again. Like, I, I just feel like maybe with the new DNA technology, like all that. And so they did, they reopened it and they were like, okay, let's, let's see what we can do. Like, let me get this old box down of evidence. And so they started working on it. Those detectives were named Leah Wagner and Jeff Bennett. And then okay. in, in April of 2020, Carla's story was featured on the show, The DNA of Murder, which was hosted by Paul Holes, the investigator who solved the Golden State Killer case with the new DNA technology. Oh, yeah. You know how dang. in that case they, they used like the DNA from like things that people had submitted through all the like ancestry, 23andMe, like all of that right. stuff. Right. And they're uh-huh. able to tie it into a specific family tree. And so yeah. they used that technology. And so now this guy ended up, I guess, hosting a show about it. And they featured Carla's story and like tried to solve it. So uh, the investigators, Wagner and Bennett, gave Holes access to files and evidence for the case. The show paid for the DNA testing, which was like $20,000, which is why they hadn't done it. It so expensive. Um, But the show paid for it because it was on the show. And they were able to find male DNA from stains on Carla's underclothing. They had kept it all these years, like kept it um, in a way that would like preserve that. And so they were able oh, to like, wow. pull DNA from old stains from 46 years before. Um, That's crazy. I know. Isn't that so cool? But that is when awesome. They, yeah. When they ran the DNA through CODIS, which is like, you know, the program where like the criminals like DNA or whatever, um, there mm-hmm. weren't any matches. So, okay. And it was kind of another dead end, but they heard about this lab that used like new, uh, they used state of the art parallel DNA sequencing to reconstruct the DNA samples genome. Um, okay. I don't understand any of that, but that's what they do. Apparently it, the lab is called Othram and it's in Texas, I believe. And so okay. it allowed them to use that DNA information from like different testing websites to construct a family tree. And, uh, oh. this led them to the surname McCurley. Okay. So interesting. So it was very, very similar to like how the golden state killer case was solved. Um, and the investigators immediately recognized that name from the original investigation. They were like, wait, right. we know exactly who this is now. Um, and then three days later, police collected items from Glenn McCurley's trash can outside of his home and tested it for DNA. They got a McDonald's straw is actually the item that they got. They tested his McDonald's nice. straw. It, yeah. And so, um, and it matched the DNA that was left on her undergarments 46 years before wow isn't that crazy like just a wild turn of events like 46 years and they were still able to like match the dna good yeah i i was like against all odds like yeah that never happens 
these cold cases like rarely ever get solved, but it's so exciting when they do. Um, yeah. So they um, arrested Glenn and he was charged with capital murder. They also, when they went to arrest him, found the gun that had been supposedly stolen six weeks before Carla's murder. Funny how that happens. Yeah, interesting. Um, He eventually, like, he went to trial, and then on the third day of his trial, he ended up just pleading guilty and waiving his jury trial. He says that he only pled guilty because he was tired of the hounding and wanted it to be over. Um, And he still maintains his innocence to this day. He's given, like... No, honey, no. No, no, there's literally DNA. Um, He's given, like, different stories about it. One story was that, like, it was uh, her boyfriend was hitting her, and so he went to try to rescue her or something. There's one story about that. There was one story about, like, oh, somebody else was, like, trying to hurt her, and he rescued her. Um, And so then apparently he, like, took her with him in his car to, like, a different parking lot, and she was so thankful that he rescued her that she had sex with him, and then he dropped yeah, her I'm off, sure and she was fine. Yeah, I'm sure that's how that happened. Especially because, like, she was a virgin. She wouldn't sleep with her high school boyfriend yet. She's not going to sleep with yeah. some random guy. Like, no. No. So, anyway, like, by everyone's accounts, they were like, absolutely, no, she would not do that. Like, everybody knew her. Every They knew that that was not going to happen. Um, But anyway, but he was like, no, like, she wanted to sleep with me. She slept with me. And then I dropped her off, and she was, like, standing in the parking lot when I dropped her off. Like, she was fine. It wasn't me. Oh, so he rescued her, but then he's going to drop her off in a parking lot all alone? Right. It His stories do not okay. add up. And I've read, like, different ones, too. I'm like, just pick one. <laughs> if you're going to lie about something, keep it the same. It's yeah, just, and make it yeah. better. I'm sorry, but that's I know. not a good story. No, it doesn't make any sense. Um, But anyway, so he did end up pleading guilty, and he was sentenced to life in prison. But they didn't pursue, like, the death penalty or anything. I guess they considered it. But um, again, he had cancer. And so yeah, they were like, it's kind of a waste of. Yeah. So yeah. they just sent him to life in prison because they were like, he already kind of has a death sentence. Like it was it was like a really bad, aggressive cancer. He was not going to survive it. Um, although Good. I believe I believe he's still alive. From what I can tell, like oh. I haven't seen anything about him dying. I think he's still alive. Um, I might be wrong about that, but I really tried to find any information about if he had passed away in prison. And I I think he's alive. He tried to appeal it like last year saying that um, the police were like wrong in getting his trash and testing it for DNA. But I think that very no. quickly, I think very quickly yeah. they were like, no, because they also like, they got that and it matched, but like they went and asked him to give a DNA sample and he agreed. And then that matched. Right. So, right. So even if they shouldn't have done that, like he still gave his DNA and it matched. All right, we are back. Sorry, we had to stop our recording because we have the free version of Zoom. So I'm a, oh well. I'm a teacher and Madison's an actress. I mean, like we can't afford the good version. <laughs> no, so. and I just got a notification yesterday that my mortgage payment's going up by like oh. over two hundred dollars. <gasps> no, that's bad. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, Ooh. so definitely can't afford premium Zoom. No, no, we will <laughs> support us on Patreon, guys. <laughs> Pay for our Zoom. <laughs> uh, no, we will just splice this together because that's no big deal to do. I say as I've never done it, but like it should be fine. I movie right. We we've figured everything else out so far. Exactly, I've got we've been really medicine. resourceful. Thank you, thank you. I'm really trying. I've learned a lot through this process. So <laughs> you've been um, killing it. <laughs> 
Oh, thank you. Um, my editing skills can use some some additional work, but you know, pretty good for not knowing anything at all, I think. So yeah, I would say so. Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate it. Anyway, so where we left off was he had been sentenced to life in prison. Um, they weren't pursuing the death sentence because he was already like about to die, probably. Although I think he hasn't yet. And he tried to file an appeal, but I don't think that stuck because that was dumb. Anyway, I don't even get why he's trying at this point. Like, dude, they've got DNA evidence. Like, you yeah, did it. That's enough. Exactly. So admit it. Story, you, though, you had 46 years of freedom mm-hmm. time to pay the piper like sorry. exactly exactly for your last like few years maybe maybe if that long like I don't know but yeah. but his story again with the DNA evidence his story is that she did have sex with him but it was like consensual she wanted to and then he left her and she was fine when he left no way so I think that's how he's trying to explain no away the DNA evidence which I'm like that makes no sense There's they no literally way. they it were driving not. around looking for her she wasn't just left yeah. in the parking lot and they didn't find her. It's right. Dumb. They were anyway. looking for her for days. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, um, something else interesting, though, about this whole scenario is that when it first started, um, there were some other similar cases and police had started looking for a serial killer. So really? there are many people who think that Carla was not the only victim. So there's actually a oh, really, wow. there's a long list that I'm going to read off of just the like bare minimum about each case. Um, again, like just like the date, age, name, mm-hmm. and kind of like cause right. of death sort of thing. But there's a lot that happened right around then. And then just like kind of stopped, which is interesting because I don't know why okay. they stopped. I've got maybe some theories, but anyway, we'll see. So the first one was on February 7th. 1973 which was one year before Carla's murder like almost exactly a year before um yeah like and still really close to the anniversary date a lot of these seem to happen in February at least at first like the first Uh few and then it then it kind of picks up but the first few like there's there's quite a few in February which is really interesting to me um so this was a year before her murder a woman named Becky Martin never returned home from her class, her night class at Tarrant County Junior College. And then her body was found seven weeks later, so badly decomposed that a cause of death couldn't be determined. She had also oh been found, she had also been found in a culvert just outside city limits, like Carla. Hmm. And it was okay. a year before. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's suspicious, yes. Very suspicious. Um So then on February 19th of 1977, which was like three years after Carla, um, the body of 25-year-old June Ward, a nurse, was discovered. She had been strangled and beaten over the head with some sort of sharp, heavy object. So another that's kind of similar age group, also strangled, also in February. Yeah, yeah. Um, And again, a lot of these, like, they're not saying they're for sure connected. These are just cases that could possibly be connected, but they don't know. They haven't, like, officially said, like, yes, these are the same person. We're we're dealing with a serial killer. They just had kind of, like, kept them in mind and been like, "Mm, we might have a serial killer. So, which I think they did, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, like, Fort Worth, Dallas area is so big that, like, it could have been totally unrelated, but these were all, like, Fort Worth area. Um, it's just strange. And just 
it's just too similar. Like it just seems very mm-hmm. Especially similar that area, first similar one. dumping. Yeah. Yeah. That first one was like, it has to be the same person. Like, I don't know. We'll see. But um, so then next on July 9th of 1980. So uh, again, three years later, a 19 year old Denise Huff was found near a Creek bridge. She had also been strangled. Very similar. Mm-hmm. And then in February of 1983, so another like three years later, the body of Christy Tower was found in a field north of the city. She had electrical wire around her wrists where they had been like bound together. And she also had it around her neck. So again, strangled, like strangled. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit different, a little bit different, but still similar. Um, Mm -hmm. Her purse, however, had been found in a dumpster behind Cheers, which is a bar only half a mile from where Carla had been kidnapped. So very similar area. Yeah. Similar Mm -hmm. hunting grounds. Yep. Exactly. Um, I didn't say if anything was missing from her purse. So like, I don't know what the motive was, but like Carla's purse was left behind also. Right. Interesting to me. Um, and then on September 9th of 1984, so only a year and a half later, 23 year old Catherine Davis disappeared and her body was found in a field also. I don't have any details about like cause of death. A lot of these are just like very bare minimum. I didn't go super in depth looking for all of the details but they were kind of right. they were listed on one of those in one of those articles about like was she the only victim here's some other ones that it could have been right so and then on October 19th 1984 we're really starting to pick up like they're really it's really picking up I mean some of them are yeah. days apart this one was like a month and 10 days or something um so 29 year old teacher Marilyn Hartman was found gagged and strangled in her bedroom Okay, so, so that's a little different. different. Yeah. yeah, pretty different, but still strangled, still kind of similar age group, I guess. Young woman. Um, yeah. And then on October 22nd, 1984, only three days later, 23-year-old Cindy Heller disappeared, and she was found strangled in a creek bed on the Texas Christian University campus. Okay, that's so again, that one's more similar. Very similar. That one's mm-hmm. more similar. Yep. The in the home one, that would be a big jump. That one's, yeah, that one's a little strange. I'm not sure that that one is connected, but it was on the list, so I'm including it. Yeah. That Um, would just be a big jump from doing hunting in, like, parking lots and outside and while they're out of their home to suddenly Mm -hmm. going in the home to kill and not disposing of the body elsewhere. Exactly. Like, that's a pretty, pretty big jump. I think so as well. Um, the next, that next one with like found in a creek bed strangled. I'm like, that sounds That's very much the same mm-hmm. MO. Yeah. That mm-hmm. one sounds more likely than the other one. This one is also a little bit different. It's also in the home. Um, so on November 26th of 1984, so like a month later, Catherine Jackson was found in her bathtub with the water still running. She had been strangled with the cord. So that one's a little different too. Also in the home. So maybe those two are a different killer. Um, yeah. Those are similar. They're both in the home. Right. Um, and then two weeks later, 21-year-old Angela Ewart left her fiance's house and was never seen again. Her car was discovered the next day abandoned, and her decomposed remains were eventually found in a field. So, wow. Another there's it goes from like creek beds, culverts to kind of fields, but I feel like they're kind of similar enough that like yeah, you know, um, just kind of dumped somewhere. So that one right. also could be. And then on December 22nd, 
1984, so maybe a couple of weeks after that one, 21-year-old Regina Grover and her boyfriend were seen walking out of the keg, a restaurant on Camp Bowie Boulevard, which is the boulevard that they were like cruising with um, Carla. So mm-hmm. same road. Um, Regina was found the next day in a creek under a bridge, having been strangled and drowned. And her boyfriend was actually found bludgeoned to death in his bed. Oh, wow. Which is, which is different, but I mean, he also, he attacked Rodney, like Carla's he boyfriend. He attacked Rodney, yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know why it would be in his bed. Like I, that one, I'm not sure about, but the like in a creek under a bridge, like he kidnapped the woman and just beat the the man. Like that's similar. Yeah. So unless so it's like, the only thing I could think of is if, um, is if he bludgeoned him elsewhere and the guy made it back home. That's true. Yeah. 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 That could have happened. Collapsed. I mean, yeah. Ooh, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. That could be it. Like, yeah. Like he didn't think he was dying, but he thought he, obviously right. he was beat up, but he did die from his injuries, but he had made right. it back home. Oh, like, that could if be it. That was the case, that would make more sense. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that could be it. I wonder. I didn't again, I didn't go in super into depth into detail for right. these, but but it could be. Okay. And then the next one, um, we kind of skipped together skip together, skip forward like uh, about a year and a half or so. So on February 24th of 1986, a woman's unclothed body was found partially wrapped in a blanket lying on a hillside near a park. She had been strangled, but her identity still remains unknown as far as I can tell. Oh, wow. So yeah. So again, that's another one in February, another one found like strangled. Uh, Strangled outside. Mm -hmm. So what um, was the year on that one? 1986 and that's the last one that I saw that they like had thought was connected it just kind of went quiet after that um okay which he had already like it got really really intense there for a while like back to back and then kind of backed off and then had another one so I don't know what was going on like during those times why he backed off and then started again um because at first it was like about three years apart and right. um, so if these all were him or a good portion of them were him, my theory of why he stopped is his son was actually killed by a drunk driver in 1988, which would have only been about two years later if he had maybe kind of slowed oh. down again and gone back to the like every two or three years thing, then maybe that's what caused him to stop. Completely. I don't know. That's all yeah. I can come up with. You know what I mean? Like that's the only right. thing I saw that I was like, oh, that would explain kind of why he would stop. I know it doesn't line up exactly, but if he had started to kind of slow down again, back to that, like every three years or so. And right. then that happens just a couple years later, then, then maybe that's why he stopped. I don't know Yeah. if these were even him again, it's all like pure speculation. Right. So, but a lot of people think that like there had to be more. It's weirdly similar though. It's very weirdly similar. And like, and it seems weird for him to just have that one incident, like one brutal mm-hmm. random incident and not have anything else. That's the thing is like, it's so senseless. And so like, he didn't have a connection with her. Like there was no real motive other than like, I'm going to go rape and murder this woman. Like there's no connection there, which is, yeah, it would be strange for him to just stop. I think after one, it would make more sense for there to be more. Um, He said that like, one of his stories was that he had been drinking a lot that night. It was his anniversary. And he like, was out drinking I don't know it doesn't make sense again 
but no, I guess that was his story. And then I don't know. His stories didn't add up. Like there were so many different ones that I'm getting confused, like trying to keep them all straight. Yeah. But anyway, so who knows if he did the rest of them, but it would be really weird for him to just like randomly decide to rape one... and kill one woman and then stop. Yeah. It doesn't yeah, make sense. And very... there are too many... That's a very aggressive first incident and for it to be the mm-hmm. only incident like for there for it not to be like something that she had done something to him that the rage right. came on because of previous incidents not saying like obviously that would be okay but like no. that would that would explain one a one-time thing right. but for it to be a random person no connection to them and to just brutally mm-hmm. murder them after visit viciously attacking them and then not have any other incidents that would be really rare it doesn't make sense like psychologically it does not make sense like that doesn't happen really from what Mm -mm. from what I know not that I'm a pro not that I'm an expert or anything but like it does that doesn't happen like you don't just like decide I'm gonna rape and murder someone but it's going to be someone I don't know. I'm going to randomly attack them. And then I guess I'm done. I guess I'm not going to do that again. Like, right. doesn't, it doesn't add up. So anyway, it would make sense to me that at least some of these were probably also him. Especially yeah. because the MO on some of them are so similar. So, Very similar. So I don't know. Um, But he was only ever charged with her murder. And, wow. but police did like, Although at the time, like, they did believe they were probably dealing with a serial killer. They never, like, publicly announced it or things like that. Right. But but they did. It I makes mean, me I wonder multiple. if they're going to do, makes me wonder if they're going to do any DNA tests on any of the other cases and try to see if I would if hope it's they his. would. Yeah, I would hope they would. Um, I know that they're, like, really old cases, so I don't know if they were all kept as, like, I don't know if they were all like as thoroughly done as Carla's and like kept all that evidence. And I know it's like $20,000 to do that DNA testing. So I know it's really expensive, but like they also deserve justice and closure and like those families deserve it. So I hope if they can, that they will. Um, Right. But anyway, it took 46 years for this case to be solved. And like a lot of the others will like realistically probably never be solved, which is so so sad. sad, so awful, but I'm just glad that like hers was able to be solved, even though it was, it was literally 46 years, which is so crazy to me. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, that is the story of the murder of Carla Walker for our very first sister state true crime story. Well done. That was a crazy story. Thank you. It was wild. It's wild. So I'm really excited to hear yours though. I can't wait. Ready for a paranormal story. Hopefully it's not All quite right. as, like, brutal as this true crime. Ugh. I know. It's uh it's not it's not as brutal. Not at all. Good, um good. mine's actually pretty lighthearted. Oh, great. We need that. All right. So I am going to talk about the USS Lexington, which is okay. located in Corpus Christi, Texas. Cool. I've never heard of it. I had not either. So um before I forget, I'm going to list my sources. So uh, my first source is tpr.org, which I believe is Texas Public Radio. Let me double check. Yes, Texas Public Radio. Uh, .org, uh, USSLexington.com, uh, thecaller.com, or just caller.com, uh, 
and then a YouTube video by Texas Country Reporter, uh, hauntedplacestogo.com. And um, I went ahead and put this on here. I didn't really use much from it, but a couple of places like mentioned um, things from this episode. It's an episode of Ghost Hunters. It's um, season three, episode 11 of Ghost Hunters. They went and visited the USS Lexington. Cool. Um, All right. So the USS Lexington is also called the Blue Ghost, which is a perfect name for a haunted aircraft carrier. Ah, that's cool. Um, So the USS Lexington was commissioned in 1943. She was decommissioned in 1991. And at that time, she was the oldest working aircraft carrier. Oh, cool. Um, Yeah. So this is just a little bit of the history of the ship before we get into the spooky stuff. Awesome. Um, She was originally supposed to be named the USS cabot c-a-b-o-t i'm not sure if i'm saying that right um but when the original lexington was sunk in the coral sea they changed the uss cabot to the uss lexington cool i'm like that has to be a man's decision because why in the world would you name a ship the name of a ship that just sunk (laughs) yeah that doesn't seem like good vibes but Okay. No, and um, also how confusing because now you have two ships with the same name. I mean, it would be like naming a giant cruise ship the Titanic. Like, I wouldn't I know. be going on that. <laughs> nice. Okay. Know. I was like, and just the confusion too. So like when you do like research on this, you have to figure out, am I talking oh, about right. this Lexington or the previous Lexington? That's so, so confusing. Like the years, yeah. So I mean, I guess that I guess they probably a guy's decision. Yeah, I guess they probably didn't think like people were going to be researching this haunted ship very much. Like you know, I I guess in theory, like you're not going to research individual like aircraft carriers. Many, I guess, times? but like I don't know. His, military history buffs would That's be true. Like, looking at it. So I don't, I don't get it. They could have been like um, USS Lexington number two, Junior, Lexington Junior. Yeah, I know something, something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but a cool fact about this ship is this ship was the first aircraft carrier to have women crew on board. Oh, okay, very progressive of them. I like it. Cool. Yes. So once the Lexington was commissioned, the Lexington joined the Fifth Fleet at Pearl Harbor where she then engaged in a lot of battles during World War II. Mm, Basically, every time she was up and running, she was engaged in whatever battle was happening in the Pacific region. Okay. Um, She spent, in total, about 21 months in combat. That seems like a Uh, lot. I mean, I know nothing about combat, but that seems like a lot. It seems like a lot to me, too. Um, her planes destroyed in air, so like the the planes that would use that aircraft mm-hmm. carrier, those planes destroyed while in air 372 planes. Oh my goodness. So in air combat. Yeah. And then on the ground, more than, or about 475 more planes, but on the ground. That's so, so many. Like from air. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. So um, she sank or destroyed over 300,000 tons of enemy cargo. 
Okay. Um, and then an additional 600,000 tons were damaged cargo, like enemy cargo. All right. The ship's guns shot down 15 planes and assisted in shooting down five more. That's a lot. So she's a beast. Yeah. She did her job well. And that crew's a beast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the Japanese actually reported the Lexington being sunk four different times. But every time she was repaired and sent back into battle, which earned her the name the Blue Ghost. I love it. Yeah, it's like they're <laughs> seeing a ghost. Brilliant. So, yep. She could not be kept away. Um, so then she became a training carrier in Pensacola, Florida, uh, okay. before she was decommissioned and sent to Corpus Christi uh, to stay there as a museum. Uh, and she was put there on January 29th, 1992. Okay, cool. Is she like, so uh, oh, sorry. This lag is really no, annoying. Um, it is, is she like, uh, you know how like the Queen Mary, you can like go and stay there in like rooms? Can you go stay in this one? Or is it like strictly a museum and stuff? I don't think you can stay in there, but you can, okay. you can go visit it. Yeah. Okay. Like you can explore through part of it. Um, there are parts where you can't walk through, but there are parts right. that you can. Okay, cool, cool. I was uh, about to say, if you can go stay there, like the Queen Mary, like, let's go stay there and do a ghost hunt overnight. But I guess they don't have rooms, so. It seems like we don't even have to go at night to see stuff. Really? Okay, okay. Cool. Yeah. So, um, the video that I watched on YouTube uh, from Texas Country Reporter, it was from 1995. So the people that I'm going to talk about right here are were people that were working during that time. I don't know if they still work okay. there or not. So um, the first person in the video that they interviewed, his name is David Deal. Um, he is a Vietnam vet and um, he led tours on the ship. Ooh, he was not service, a believer. Yes, thank you. He is not a believer in the paranormal. However, okay. he has become one since working on the ship. I always get so nervous hearing that because it's like, oh, that must be some really intense stuff because you're not even like yeah. open to it. You know what I mean? Like we're like, yeah, I mean, we're still like more on the skeptic side, but like we're open to it. And I feel like as we continue right. like doing these investigations, I feel like we're like, I'm be I'm becoming more in tune at least. I don't know. I you're probably the same way, but I feel yeah. like I'm able to like sense things more than I could before we started this. Um, but for somebody same. to go from complete skeptic to being like, yes, I believe in this, like it has to be so intense. Oh yeah. Because I think Vietnam vet, so like hardcore dude. Oh yeah. And then and he's like, I don't believe in this crap. And then he's like, Yeah, actually, I've seen some stuff. Yikes. I I get it now. Right, right. So um the first thing um that he talks about is there's actually an apparition that appears to people on the ship. Like during the day. So um like during the day. That's a lot of energy, I feel like. Yeah. My and goodness. it's this apparition has been mentioned a lot. Okay, okay. Ooh. So, um, he said, typically people describe him as a little sailor guy. He's got blue oh, eyes. Cute. He's got a white hat. <laughs> yeah. He walks Precious. with a little bit of a limp. Oh. 
He's about 19 or 20 years old and always wearing a white uniform. Aw, he's just a baby. Yeah. So he's typically seen in the engine room. And visitors will see him and think that he's part of the tour. Oh, so it's like a really powerful apparition. Like if they're thinking it's, it's a, a real person. Ooh. Like people think he's a real person. Yes. That always freaks me out. Like it's one thing to see like a hazy figure in the corner or something, but then to be like, oh, hello, sir. Can you tell me where this is? And then it's a literal ghost. Like that's yeah. terrifying. Yeah. That's so crazy. So the tour. The tour group, they don't have anybody dressed up in costume, in uniforms. There's, They're all in like a tour guide uniform. They're not in naval uniforms. They're, so there's right. nobody to like, you know, be mi- mixed yeah. up with. Yeah. Um, and he, he said something about like, he's typically aware of when there's actual sailors on board who are viewing. Right. And so he was like, there was nobody on the ship this day. So there was a, a specific day he remembers when he first was like, oh, maybe this stuff is legit. Mm-hmm. And a a couple, I think he said from Oregon, came. And as they finished the tour, they're like, thank you so much for the tour. We really enjoyed it. And we love the guy in the engine room. He told us all about how the engines worked. And we really enjoyed how, you know, he acted the part and he wore the uniform like it was just fantastic (laughs) that is crazy just the fact that he's like talking to them and telling them things like he's not just some like residual energy left like he is intelligent and like having conversations with people and looking like a real person that's a powerful ghost dude yeah that's so cool and the and David was like, I don't think there's any sailors on board today, but I'm glad you enjoyed the tour. <laughs> and then crazy. he was like, maybe there's something to this. And there's been multiple people that have reported seeing, and his name is Charlie. Oh, Charlie. That's the name that ghost tour or ghost, um, what did I say? Ghost hunters. That's the name. I wanted to say ghost tour. adventures, but it's not that. Wrong show. <laughs> Ghost Hunters. Yeah. So they got the name Charlie when they went on the ship. That's the name okay, they got from okay. them. Okay. So the other story that David tells is one night he was, I think he was closing up. That's the impression I got. It could have mm-hmm. been something else, but that was the impression I got is that he was kind of closing up for the day. And so he's walking through this portion of the ship and um, he's walking a little ways away to turn off some lights. And the door that he had gone through to get into this area closes behind him. And if you think about, like, a naval ship, these are not just, like, a soft, like, easy-to-close wooden door that can blow with the wind. I'm sure, like, these are heavy steel doors. metal doors. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And so it closes. He goes over. Like, the handle even turns to close. So he he goes over to the door to open it, and he can't open it. He said it felt like somebody was on the other side holding it down as he's trying to lift the lever up to open it. That is terrifying. Yeah. So he goes around the ship, like he goes down different corridors, 
goes back to the door to see what's up because he's like they had to have a reason because he's at this point he's thinking it's another staff member that closed it yeah yeah and he's thinking okay somebody had to close it for some reason like i'll figure out why we'll we'll figure this out he goes back over there it's completely wide open like it was when he first walked through it oh my goodness that's so scary yeah (laughs) yeah so he was like, I, I definitely, like, believe in the fact that there's things here now. Yeah, yeah. So the next person they talked to, um, she didn't have a ton of stories, um, but Judith Whipple, it, she was a researcher on the Lexington staff, so a historian researcher. Um, she said that there are places that she just does not want to go to on the ship. That she just has these creepy feelings. And she's like, I'm not a big paranormal person either. Mm -hmm. But there are places that I go to where I feel like I'm watched. Or I feel like there's somebody right there with me. And I'm by myself. Mm. I don't like that. And so, yeah. The place where she especially doesn't like to go to, which I thought this was extra creepy. It's called the O2 level. And it's where the crew quarters were. So, think about all those sailor men Mm. yeah 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 Mm. and so she's like that's where she does not like to go alone because it always feels like there's somebody like right there by her or that somebody's watching her I don't like that at all no that's creepy um so then uh there was a report um with uh caller.com um that had some interviews with some other people so in 2018, they talked to the director of operations and exhibits, Charles, I think it's Russell. I'm not sure. It's R-E-U-S-T-L-E. So either Russell or Russell. I'm going to go with Russell. Sure. Sounds good. Charles. So Charles, right? Charles. Okay. Charles. Yeah. Charles. He says that they get over, they get hundreds of reports of paranormal activity every year. Ooh, okay so it's like so super active the, it's super active hey. um so he also said that he was not a particularly like believer in the paranormal um, sensing a trend here yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> but he said he cannot he said there are just some experiences that he can't explain like they're just yeah. really weird so this is honestly a really funny one so across, so he always uses a ballpoint pen okay. and there was a series of five weeks where he kept losing a pen cap every week. Oh. So then he lost right. a sixth one. This is week five. He's lost his sixth one. He's like, this is ridiculous. How in the world have I lost six pen caps from my desk in my office? So he turns his office upside down organizes it completely does not find any extra pin caps not a single extra pin cap leaves for the day he's like at least my office is organized i'm gonna go home comes back Mm. the next morning all six pin caps were lined up side by side right in front of his computer keyboard absolutely not that's funny (laughs) my ghost was like all right you're on to me here you go you can have it back at least you cleaned your office fine (laughs) Maybe the ghost just wanted it to be clean. Yeah, maybe the ghost just wanted it to be clean. Yeah. So funny. So he said he just never felt anything malicious on board. He said it's always just felt like it's more prankster or playful than, or like helpful than 
and like mean or bad yeah um, okay well that's he good. said that uh again yeah so he said again that um a, the one of the very popular ghosts is the one in the engine room the sailor that helps okay. um there helps explain the engine room but there's another ghost apparently that helps guests who are lost find their way back to the deck and again it's oh sailor. that's so nice that's so nice yeah so I'm like this these are just like sweet sailor boys that are just trying to make sure that people on their ship are taken care of just sweet little gentlemen I love it I know precious Um, these are the kind of ghost stories I like (laughs) I know um Renee Moreta I'm not sure if I'm saying her name right R-E-N-E and then M-O-R-A-I-D-A I'm gonna go with Renee Yeah, she's the education coordinator for the museum and her story that she told uh, the article or the people doing the article was that um, one night a security officer, some security officers heard running in one of the hangar bays at 3 a.m. Of course. So they're watching the cameras. They don't see anything on camera. So the damage control officer decides to go check it out. He's like, we hear it, but we can't see it. So I'm going to go check it out. When he gets there, he sees shadow figures, not just one, multiple, running around in chaos. He left and he never came back. What? Why are, that's so creepy. Why are they running around? Usually they're just like standing somewhere or like walking, but like, why are they running around in chaos? So Bill Miller, who's a volunteer and he's a paranormal tour guide, says that he mm-hmm. believes it's sailors trying to run for cover after the ship oh. was hit by a torpedo in that hangar bay. That's really sad. Yeah, because there okay, were at least they're um, not like creepy shadow figures. Yeah, yeah, they're not creepy. They're just trying to mm-hmm. run for cover. That's sad. Yeah. Um, and I didn't mention it earlier, but in, I believe in Ghost Hunters, they said that the number of people that died on that ship was about 300, like, during oh, wartime that's activities. All, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So there's a lot of energy there. Yeah, because if you think about it, four times the Japanese declared the ship sunk. That means that there was massive right. blows to that ship, so people yeah. were injured and killed. Um, I believe in the in the one that um, where the torpedo hit that hangar bay, I believe it was mm-hmm. 50 people that died in that one incident. Oh, okay. No wonder they were running around in chaos. I get it. Yeah. Um, so in other um, parts of the ship, um, people have felt ill in certain parts of the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in the, the um, what do they call it? The galley or the commissary, like where mm-hmm. they come to eat. Um, if yeah. men come in with a hat on, they hear a voice that tells them to take off their hat. He said, be respectful. <laughs> take off your hat, you're inside. Um, <laughs> That's funny. People will hear voices, screams, and mm. the sound of weapons firing. Dang. That's crazy. Yeah. So that is the story of Lady Lex, Miss uss lexington okay that is crazy i really like that it's like not a spooky spooky story it's like a like a good ghost story of mostly helpful yeah. ghosts. there is a bee in here <laughs> do you hear it buzzing i don't it's right in front of me it just landed on my light okay well, well i guess 
sign that it's time to go before I get stung. Why is there a bee in my shed? I don't know, but it was a really freaky time for you to be all freaked out because we we're just yeah, and you were like, it just came out of nowhere too. <laughs> like, what? It has not been in here the whole time. It just, ugh. Okay. Anyway, I gotta go get rid of this bee, but I'm not gonna kill it because I don't want to kill a bee. So now I gotta try to track. All right. Well, we we time. got less than a minute anyway, so. Well, okay. Good timing. It's like flying very close to me now, so I better go. <laughs> All right, right, don't forget to follow us on Patreon, support us, uh, tell other people about the podcast, and stay spooky. Stay spooky!